we are excited uh, to start a new sermon series uh, for the Wednesday night Bible study. It's called Acts, the exciting life of the church. Uh, it is really an exciting thing, and we're going to learn a lot. If you want to know anything about something, you could start where it first began. And this is the birth of the church. Acts incorporates the birth of the church as we know it. And so this is going to be an exciting time to study uh, through the Bible. And on Wednesday nights, I like Wednesday nights because Wednesday nights gives us time to walk in the Word. We get inspired on Sundays and we get fed on Sundays. But on Wednesday nights, we can really take some time and dive down deep into the Word. For those of you who are visiting uh, with us by podcast or visiting with us by Facebook or YouTube, we'd like to welcome you or Sermon.net or on our website or all the other mediums that we have out there now. Welcome to our church. Welcome to our family. Welcome home. And you can see what that says. Let's read that on the screen. What does it say? Acts, the exciting life of the church. I like the way the word exciting sounds because life with Christ is not boring. Life with Christ is exciting. I remember a song that said, every day with Jesus is just as sweet or sweeter than the day before. So it's important for us to know that God is not calling us to retirement and to boredom, but God is calling us to promise and a hope and a future as we spread his gospel. And this book is a powerful book. This book is written, and we'll go to our quick facts real quick, so you can see these few little things, that this book is written by Luke. Uh, many people might not know that, but the book is written by Luke around A.D. 63 to A.D. 70. Luke is a physician, and he is not one of the 12 disciples. You may or may not know that, but Luke is a follower of Christ and may have been one of the 70. This book is actually written several years, about 30 years after the ascension of Jesus Christ. Um, historically, Jesus is born about 4 B.C. I know that sounds weird because we often equate B.C. with before. Christ, but Jesus is actually born about the year 4 BC. And after he's crucified and he ascended, he ascends unto heaven. Uh, around AD 63 uh, is around the time that Luke begins to give this account to put in things of the life of the church, how the church started its genesis, so that we can get a better understanding of the church. It is built off of a major confession, and this is up there, and I'm going to get to it in a second. I want you to know this is also a sequel to the book of Luke. When you see Luke open up, Luke is written to a person called Theophilus, and when you see Acts written, Acts is also written to Theophilus in a more endearing term. We don't know why that is. It may be that Paul or Luke has now gotten a chance to know Theophilus just a little bit better and has built a higher respect for him and a higher regard. But there's a warmer greeting in the first uh, part of Acts when we see him reach out to Theophilus. And so we're going to see this. When you look at this, you look at this as a continuation of the gospel. In other words, we don't just stop here, but we stop and start. The New Testament really kind of ends, believe it or not, or starts rather, uh, after John the Baptist. Um, because a new testament or a will and testament really comes after the death of a person and jesus dies and he is resurrected and then he says a new covenant or a new testament that i give to you and so this is going to be very exciting for us to look across it covers several different themes and i'm going to go ahead and get those themes out of uh, out of the way because i want you to know these things that 
the major theme of Acts, we can see these together. Let's read them. The first one says what? The genesis of the church, the start of the church, the birth of the church, when the church is forced formed. What's number two? The empowerment of the church. The church is not only born, but the church is empowered by the Holy Spirit for service. It's empowered to grow. It's empowered to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's important for us to know that we now are the church. So the same things for the church then, we are the church now, and we are required to do the same mandate, which is carry the gospel to the ends of the earth. What's number three? The growth and the explosion of the church in just a short 30 years the church explodes and goes all over the known world around that area. And we're going to be covering that across these next few weeks. What's the next one? The evangelistic culture of the church. That's something that I'm hoping to revitalize as to, for those who listen uh, later on and those who listen who are in this room right now, that we get into an evangelistic mode. We have become complacent with the church as a whole and have decided to build nice buildings and nice edifices and wait for us to, for people to come to us. But God never called for that to be. He called us to go to them. So we need an evangelistic culture in the church. We don't need a, a, a culture of people that just mind their business and are quiet and go about the day-to-day to not be bothered, but we need an evangelistic culture, people who are always about the business of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And lastly, but not leastly, we, least, rather, we see what? The persecution of the church that the church is persecuted, the church continues to be persecuted, and the church will always be persecuted until Christ comes back and reigns victorious. So we shouldn't let those things stop us, but we should evermore try to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, to start this out. I know we're starting with Acts, but I want to set the stage for some things. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. And I'm going to read it if they don't have it. Let's read it together. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. What is that rock? Many people argue that Peter is the rock, but Peter is not the rock, although Jesus uses Simon's name, and he calls him in the Greek Petra, or Peter, which means rock. You are the rock, Peter, and I'm going to build my church on this rock. But the rock was Peter's confession that Jesus is Christ. He is the Messiah, or the Messiah. He is the Holy One of God. He is the Anointed One of God. Many people think that Christ is part of Jesus' name, but it's not part of his name. It's part of his title. He is Jesus, the Christ, the anointed one. In Greek, that would be Christo, I believe. In, in Hebrew, it would be Mashiach or the Messiah. He is the anointed one of God. And what Peter is saying is, you are the son of God. Based upon that confession, he said that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That Christ and the confession of Christ is the bedrock of the, of the church. I hear the word saying that the stone that the builders have rejected has now become what? The chief corner. He is the building and the, the stone that holds up everything that is the church. 
you can have lights, you can have smoke, you can have nice praise teams and nice music, all of that's good. You can have big LED screens in your background, nothing wrong with those things. But if you're missing Jesus, you are not a church, you are a social club. I don't care how much you try to, to do self-help sermons and help people and get deep into their psyche. Those things are good to minister to the needs of the whole man, but the central purpose of the church is Christ and him crucified. Everybody say that. Christ and him crucified. Jesus Christ and him crucified. All that Paul did, he would always say, I know nothing but Christ and him crucified. The message or the euangelion or the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Christ has come to save the lost souls, that they will find salvation and rest for their souls. It is easy to spread the gospel now because God has picked a time in history where the Romans have come and made roads, and those roads make travel easy, the waterways make commerce easy, which means that it's easy to get the gospel to different places across the world. God knew just at the right time when he wanted his son to die and for the gospel to be at just the right time for it to explode across the world. As a matter of fact, Paul, one of the apostles, begins to travel and across his lifespan, even though he didn't have a car, across his first, second, third missionary journey and all of his journeys, it's believed that Paul traveled over 13,000 miles. It takes a while to gain 13,000 miles on an airplane, to get airplane miles. I booked a couple of airplane tickets for a couple of trips coming up not too uh, far in the future, and I tried to use my miles, and I'd gone quite a ways, but I still hadn't gathered up enough miles, and I had not gathered up 13,000 miles. Can you imagine going by foot and by donkey for thir- and ship for 13? 13- 15,000 miles. Why? To be able to give the gospel. And it's important for us to know this because if somebody's going to give that much of their life for a message, the message has to be true. Who would travel that far? Who would risk death and dismemberment and torture had they not believed what they had already seen with their eyes? So that's proof that what they say is true. And we look at Luke, a physician who writes this. Luke is very accurate. For years, people have tried to disprove Luke. They have went through all parts of the gospel trying to disprove Luke. And although they tried their best, as archaeological finds finds came about, they would find out that Luke wasn't wrong. They were wrong. That Luke is a physician and Luke is actually highly skilled and Luke is not considered just a theologian, but Luke is considered a wonderful historian. So we're not just getting a theological account through the book of Acts, but we're getting a historical account. So I want you to get out of the Bible story mode and realize that this is history, that this actually happened. A lot of times we get into the mode of watching church on TV or watching all those Bible stories, and they're not always accurate. And we look at those things as just stories that we're told. But no, this is actual history. And we need to know this because just as active as God was then, God is still moving now. Amen? 
So we've looked at some of the themes of Acts. I want to talk about what we can get from Acts. For one, we can get theological insight. The best way to understand something is to go back to the beginning. If you have a psychologist and he, he's talking to somebody who's having issues with their life, they go generally back to the childhood. They have to get back to the point of the infraction, to the point where that person was first traumatized. Why? Because if I really want to understand who you are, I have to start where you began. And so that's why it's important for everybody believer to know the book of Acts because the book of Acts gives us insight to what God's plan for the church is. God's plan has not changed for the church. There are two schools of thought. There are people who are called continuationists of which we are a camp that believe that gifts are still in operation today, that the gifts of the spirit still work. They still operate and God still moves in them according to the faith and his purposes for the spreading of the gospel. But there are some that are called cessationists who really can't prove that biblically all the way out in my belief that the gifts have stopped but I don't know about you but if I had to take my choice I would choose the exciting life of faith where the Holy Spirit and God is working and alive and active in my life it's important for us to get that insight theologically so we can see what God is doing in the birth of his church also we can get a glimpse of the power of the Holy Spirit we get to see the Holy Spirit in action before this we have seen the Holy Spirit come down in the Old Testament on people, stay with them for a second and leave. We've seen the Holy Spirit come down and he's, he's, he's rested on Jesus and Jesus has worked in the power of the Holy Spirit. But now we're about to see the Holy Spirit not only live in men who accept Jesus, but the Holy Spirit is going to indwell or fill men and empower them for special acts of service through the body of Christ. And we'll look at that uh, more in just a little bit. Also, it helps us to gain a strong knowledge and a foundation and a building of the church. It's important that you know what you are a part of. Many people follow things because they like, like the music or they like the speaker and he's charismatic, but it's important now ever more so in these ages that we have people that are doctrinally sound and really know the word for themselves. It's important to know what you are a part of, and we're going to see that and ask. Now, how do we look at that through practical application? The way we look at it practically is because just how the church then functioned, we functioned. Let's look at what they did. They went out and they preached in synagogues. They carried the gospel to the synagogues, which were we would consider today our churches. So we're pretty good at that part. We know how to do the church thing. We know how to make church and carry the gospel and do those things. But there are other things that they've done that we've kind of slacked off on. In other words, even in their teaching in their schools, there were was the gospel. You could be exposed to the gospel. Now, in our world and culture, many times people are antagonistic toward the gospel. So that should be one of our focuses and goals at the body of Christ. It is my personal belief that every church should try to adopt the school. Why? Because we want to make sure that people see the love of Jesus and, and, and the hands and the feet of Jesus, not that the church shrinks away from the schools and just gives them over to the, to the enemy, but that we have churches that are praying for schools and we have prayer meetings for schools, that God will rule and reign in those schools and have active faith. It's time for the church to get off of our heels of the defense and to go on to the offense. It's time for us to stop complaining that they took prayer out of 
schools. You can't take prayer out of schools because you can zip up my mouth with crazy glue and you can't stop the prayer that's going on on the inside of my heart. It's important for us to reach out to our youth and to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ with them. So we would look at that as outward evangelism. Everybody say evangelism evangelism is not dead. God never purposed for us to come here every Sunday and get our fill of spiritual food and just forget everybody else who is spiritually starving. Evangelism is supposed to be a real active and live part of the church and each one of us are required to evangelize. Some people have what they call the gift of evangelism which is a supernatural empowerment to be able to do more than other people would be able to do but all of us are required to evangelize and none of us are allowed to retire. They also preach the gospel in the public square. That's something that we don't do as much in churches, but we do see there are some people that are faithful to the wall and some things that we're planning here to go out and to be able to pray with people. Terry's good about that, and we, we've done some of those things, and to walk down through the, the city of Royal Oak or walk from door to door and just hand out kindness cards and ask people, can I pray for you? Can I help you? Uh, have, do you know Jesus? If you need a place to connect or a church, there are loving people there to stop at the grocery store and to be able to talk to those people. They even had home prayer meetings. They prayed in their homes, and many of the church groups were in homes during that time. And the Bible says that they went from house to house, which means that it is a good idea for us as the church to reenact home Bible studies. It's good, and I'm encouraged when we show up here on Wednesday nights to study the Word, but it's very good if you, if you like to play cards and you like bridge or you like to play checkers or chess or whatever you like to do, if you like football, Build something around your interest that you like and find a way to interject Christ and the gospel with it so that you can gain people that are interested in what you are interested in. There are all sorts of ways to evangelize. If you like quilting, make a quilting small group. If you like construction or woodwork, find people that like woodwork. If you have a dog and you love your dog, find a way to meet people maybe at a park and say, hey, let's all go together, walk our dogs together, let our dogs play. Maybe we can have a little devotion because that's an active way to live out your faith. Everybody say active faith. God is calling us to active faith. He is not calling us to a stagnant faith. Not only did they do that, but we see the church in the marketplace. We see that the church, and we'll see that in Acts 26, disrupts the marketplace. There are some wicked things that are going on, and we complain about the wickedness of companies and the wickedness of corporations and things that they are pushing, but they are pushing those things because we sit on our laurels and we don't go on the offensive. But the Bible talks about Paul and how Paul disrupted an entire city because he was preaching the gospel, people started throwing their idols away. We're going to talk about that. And the people that were selling idols decided to have a riot because Paul was wrecking their commerce. Can you imagine the power of the church if the church was so powerful that so many people got saved, that pornography websites were mad at the church because they no longer had anybody watching them? Or that other sites and other things of wickedness would be overturned because people would start going, going, going out and getting the gospel. 
I remember a story, and I don't remember exactly, but it is a true story of a revival that came about. I believe it was overseas near England where, where they had miners, and those miners had come to Christ. And when the miners came to Christ, they weren't able to use the mules anymore. You know why? Because the mules they were using for mining, when the people stopped cussing, they didn't know how to understand the commands from the men because all they understood was the men cussing, the cussing all the animals and the pack animals. And when the men got saved, they had to find something else to do with the mules because the mules couldn't understand them because they had changed the way they talked. And when God comes in, in touch with your life, you will change the way you walk and you will change the way you talk and the way you act and the way your mind is set. That word is called repentance. It means to change your mind, metanoia, to change your mind. Be you changed by the renewing of your mind and we will begin to see what happens when the gospel changes people's minds. Not only is the marketplace being disrupted, but the marketplace is also becoming a sponsor for the gospel. We see people like Lydia and other people who have money and they're beginning to fund the gospel. They're beginning to give money to the gospel. We're going to see where people sell all their belongings and items and give to the gospel. What does that mean? It's important that we realize not just our heart belongs to God, but so does our wallet. And when our wallet belongs to God, we don't give just enough to get by. We give generously. Why? Because we're giving as unto the Lord. And if we're a generous giver, guess what? God will bless the generous giver because we're not giving for ourselves. If we continue to give to the gospel and more things can be done in this church and more things can be done for the poor, more things can be done all over, then guess what? God gets the glory and people can be saved. You might not have good strong back, a good strong back anymore, but you might have a stronger uh, pocket than a millennial, and you can fund the gospel when they'll use their back and we all put it together. That's how that works, that we all play our part. That's why giving is important, and we're going to see that in the gospel too. Now, the start of the book, I want you to realize that it's starting with the power of the Holy Spirit and that the comforter is promised to us. Jesus says that when I leave, I'm going to send somebody back, and he is the person of the Holy Spirit. Let's look at that in John chapter 16, verse 7. If you guys would read with me, I'd really appreciate that tonight. John chapter 16, verse 7, it says what? But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. That's important. Jesus says, if I go away, somebody is coming after me. I'm going to send him after me. Let's go to John chapter 14, starting at verse 15, and we're going to read down through 18. Ready? Read. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you. How long? Forever. Wow. Let's keep going. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Wow. Keep going. That's amazing, isn't it? Go to verse 18. They're looking for John 14, verse 18, if you have it up there. While they're doing that, I want you to think about that that he's in you. Let's read this last scripture. 
I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I'm going to leave the Holy Spirit in you. I'm going to leave him with you. He's going to be your comforter. And after the time is appointed by the Father, I'm going to come back to you. You will never be alone. You're never alone. Now, I know depression might say people don't care and you're by yourself. But guess what? As long as you are saved, the Spirit of God lives in you. And you are never what? Alone. Let's look at John 14 and 18. Let's read. Well, I'll go with that scripture because they put it up there because that's another scripture we wanted up there because we're going to see this word enacted in just a second in the book of Acts. Let's read it. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Paul is saying that it is the gospel of God, uh, the gospel and the good news of grace through faith by, uh, in Jesus Christ that is wonderful news. It, that is the good news. I don't know what better news than I can go to heaven just for believing and having faith. That's an awesome thing to spread. We have something that we need to give to the world that they need to hear, that there is a God and he is here to offer salvation to all those who would have him. Let's go to John chapter 14, verse 18. I believe that's the next scripture. Verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. We have read that, but I want to cover that again. He's coming back. Everything you see in Acts is to get people ready because he's coming back. The same way he left, he will return. And our goal as the church is to make sure as many people are as ready as possible and willing when he returns so that he can be caught up to meet with him. And the air, the Holy Spirit that we have heard talked about tonight and we have read about tonight is promised to guide us to comfort us, and to empower us. For it is the power of God. We'll see that in Acts 1 and 8. You shall receive power. Acts 1 and 8, power, dunamis. That word is where we get our word dynamite. Miracle, miraculous, wonder-working power. It is power well beyond just a shout in church. It is power well beyond just a few smokes and lights and a few emotional feelings. It is power well beyond just good church service, but but it is power for service. It is power to change. It is power to heal. It is power to deliver. It is power to transform and to set free. And guess what? If you have received the Holy Spirit, that is power that you have. The Holy Spirit is called to comfort us and guide us. And disciples, as disciples, we are called to use these powers for acts of service or the power of the Holy Spirit for acts of service. In Acts, in acts we see the Holy Spirit enter and make himself both known to the church now and in the church age. We hear all the time things that happen on the missionary field. I've been blessed to see a few things myself on the missionary field that most people would say are not possible 
possible, but I know they are possible because I saw them with my own eyes. I don't care what your theological premise says and what your thought process says. I, what does the Bible say? We can help not help report what we have what? Seen. The Holy Spirit is alive and it is active. And when he's needed to act to bring people to him, he will do so. And he chooses when and where he acts. We're going to watch the gospel message go through Judea, Samaria, and through the other ends of the earth, just as Jesus promised. Matthew 28, 20 says, and you go out into all the highways. Let's read it together. And teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I am with you toward ways to the end of the age. Verse 19 tells them to go out and preach the gospel, teaching all men to observe what I've taught you. He is commissioning them to go. Go is an actor where everybody said, go. God is not calling you to sit. He is not calling you to stay. He is calling you to go. Somebody else say, go. He's calling you to an active faith. He's calling you to a faith that is alive and breathing and moving. He's not calling you to wait until you're out to pasture and the chickens come home to roost. He is calling you to go. Go ye into all nations and preach the gospel. Not just some, but into all nations and preach the gospel. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then he promises something. He says, you won't be by yourself. I I'll be with you until the very end of the age. We watch the gospel start, and one thing we need to be excited about is that we're going to see the Spirit poured out. Everybody says, poured out. The gospel will begin with the Jews, and it will spread to the Gentiles, and we will see God's gospel message carried to the ends of the earth. Pull up that slide that says the gospel mandate in action. Matthew 28, 19 says, you'll be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the other ends of the earth. And we see that lived out just in the book of Acts alone. We see in chapters 1 through 7, the gospel begin to spread like wildfire through Judea. And then we'll see around chapter 8 all the way to about 11 and 18 that the gospel is going to travel all the way to Samaria. And then it travels beyond to the other ends of the earth. We know that the gospel gets to India. We know that the gospel gets to Asia. We know that the gospel gets to Spain and other places around the world. All throughout Europe, we tend to think just in the Mediterranean area or in the Arabic area, the Mesopotamian area, but the gospel travels all around the world, the known world of that time. And so it's our job to get the gospel out. When you give, you help get the gospel out. You know why? Because when we put things out uh, on different podcasts and out on different things, those things cost money. And when you give, guess what? It helps somebody else get the what? Gospel. People are starting to share some of the things we're doing. We're doing it at a slow approach. Why? Because I want to make sure people show up to church and don't be lazy to <laughs> and just catch it, catch it on, on, on those 
those formats, but there are other people who are, Victor said, oh, wow, he said it. Yeah, I said it. I said it because we need to come to church for forsake not to assemble yourselves together. But it's important. There are people who will never enter the doors of our church that can still hear the gospel through the giving of the saints because as we give, cameras are put up. As we give, uh, other, other avenues are bought to put out the gospel. As we give, you may be able to go to radio or you may be able to give, go to TV and just by the simple giving and the simple praying, the gospel can go all now over the world. You could be wherever you want, and if the internet is available, you can go to www.encounter360.org right now, and you can see our sermons. You can hear the word of God being taught, and if you're watching right now, you can go by live stream, and you can see it on the website. Those things are going well beyond just the four walls. Those things are going well beyond just Royal Oak, and it's important for the church to have a bigger vision. It's important for us to bloom where we're planted and minister in the community in which we're in, but it is also important that we carry the gospel to Judea and to Samaria and to beyond, but we must make sure before we try to go beyond that we're ministering where we're supposed to be ministering in Judea. The, the city needs to know your name. The community needs to know your name. The school system needs to know your name because you need to be living in active faith among those people. The mayor needs to know your name. The city council needs to know your name. You need to have influence where you are that people know. He says, for let your works, your light so shine that men will what? See your good works and glorify your father which is in heaven. This is going to be a very exciting time to study. I don't know about you, but I'm excited. We see that the lost are being saved, and we, we, we're seeing that timeline. I want you to pull up that timeline slide if you have it on there. We, it's right there. That's the gospel uh, mandate right there, so it's already up. We're also going to see two overarching components and two ministries begin to flourish. The first part of Acts is going to deal a lot with the ministry of Peter. Because Jesus is called first to the what? To the Jews. And so we'll see the ministry of Peter go all the way through the Jewish world. And when God gets ready to take the gospel to the Gentiles, you'll see him talk to Peter about rise, kill, and eat, letting him know that the gospel is for everybody. But he has a person that he's designed to carry the gospel to the Gentiles and the other parts of the world, and that person is Paul. And we'll see him a bunch in Acts chapter 13 uh, and 1 through 28 and 31. If you need these notes and these Bible study notes, we're welcome to get them to you. I'm encouraging you to study as much as you can. But what I want you to get more than anything as we lay the foundation for this is that these are ordinary people. Everybody say ordinary people. These are people, Victor, who work for Amazon. People who work for Shredded. People who work for FedEx. People who work for for Lowe's and Home Depot, people who work for Walmart, people who work for the Postal Service, people who even work for the IRS, people who work for the, the shipman's yard. These were ordinary people doing extraordinary things because they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. We don't have an excuse because we're just ordinary people because they were just ordinary people. God took 12 ordinary people and turned the world upside down. Why is that important? Because if you're an ordinary person, you fit the equation. You are a candidate for the extraordinary if you are ordinary. 
and invite Jesus into your life and use the power of the Holy Spirit to win the lost, to spread the gospel. That's what it's all about. That's why we come here every week, isn't it? To what? To reach the, to what? To reach the lost to teach the found, and to change the world. Every time we say that, what we're really saying is we're called to give the gospel mandate. Listen to what we're saying. To reach the lost, to teach the found. Once those people are found, guess what they're going to do? Reach more lost people. And in doing so, we will what? Change the world. One life at a time. (laughs) This book starts with proof of the resurrection. And it also starts with the appearance of Christ with 40 days of teaching about the kingdom and witnesses by many. And we're going to go to Acts chapter 1. We're not going to obviously read all of it tonight because we're almost out of time. Can you believe that? We're almost out of time. But we want to read. Is this helping anybody tonight? This is Paul, or Luke rather, reading and writing to his friend Theophilus. Let's read. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Stop right there. Keep that scripture up. I want to stop right there. He gave many, how many? Many convincing proofs that he was alive. If we look, search the scriptures, we'll realize that when Jesus ascended, there were over 500 witnesses to his ascension. And years after Jesus had gone, one writer writes that some are still yet alive today. This wasn't a fairy tale. This wasn't something where they could steal the body and run off with it and and pretend. But many people saw Jesus. And it would be hard to corroborate and get 500 different people where there is no Facebook text message or YouTube to give the same same lie, the same way all the time. So this means that we can prove theologically just through the eyewitnesses that were there that Jesus lived. Even if you go to non-Christian sources, such as Flavius Josephus, and Josephus is a Jewish historian who is credited with mentioning Jesus. There are other people that mention Jesus and the Christians who are not themselves Christians and have no incentive to even try to help the Christian cause. They are simply reporting the facts. Let's keep reading. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So when Jesus is ascended uh, ascended, and he goes to the Holy of Holies that we see some kind of foreshadowed in Hebrews, and he lays his blood on the mercy seat, he's told the woman at the grave, don't touch me until I go to my father, and he's done what he needs to do. He comes back, and he doesn't just go. Many of us think he died, and he rose, and then he was boom, out of here. But no, he didn't die and rose and was boom, out of here. He died, rose, he presented himself to the father, came back, and he stayed with them for 40 days. That's almost a month and a half that he spent time with them, and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. 
just how we're supposed to be speaking to people about the kingdom of God. That's powerful. That's exciting, isn't it? Let's keep going. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. So he's eating with them. He's hanging out with them. He's saying, when I talk to you, I don't want you to leave Jerusalem and start working until you are empowered for service. Don't start doing the work until you get the power. Don't cut on the car until you got some gas in it because <laughs> you're not going to get anywhere. And for what I'm telling you, you're going to need the power of the Holy Spirit. I am going to go with you. Go ahead and pull up the next scripture there. We're going to continue all the way through as we get ready to close. Verse 5. Ooh, this is exciting. Let's read. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now stop. We're not going to get into the theological premises of this now, but we'll get into that later. They already know Jesus. God is telling them that they're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. There's a difference between the baptizing of the Holy Spirit and the baptizing with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit baptizes us into the fellowship of believers and lives in us. He baptizes us into Christ, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a baptism that God puts on us with the Holy Spirit to be empowered to serve. Those are two different things. Let's keep going. I'm working them pretty fast tonight. Go back to verse 5. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, at this time, are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Now, he's talked to them for 40 days about, about the kingdom of God. Just leave that up because we're going to go to the next scripture. And it's natural for them to ask. They have been looking for a Messiah and a deliverer for years to deliver them. And so that's an honest question. That's, that's not a self-seeking question. You've been talking to us about the kingdom. Are you going to restore this kingdom to Israel right now? Is this, is this what's about to happen right now? And God's going to tell them something. Verse 7 says what? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Stop. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. You will see power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Then what's going to happen? Why are you getting that empowerment? Why are you being baptized with the Holy Spirit? Then he says, after that happens, then he gives a conjunction and let's read it. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. What he is literally saying is the Holy Spirit is going to come on you and it's not going to come on you just so you can do weird things and do things like that. The Holy Spirit is coming on you so that you can be a witness and bear witness to me. That the Holy Spirit empowers us for acts of service. It does no good to run around the church and yell around people who are saved when we run down the street and keep our mouth closed about Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit's empowerment is to be a witness for Christ. Even when you see miraculous healings, 
in the Bible, what happens right after that? People start to what? Give their lives to Christ. It is not for the glorification of men that the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit comes, but for the glorification of God and God alone. That God will draw men to him. He said that if I be lifted up upon the earth, from the earth, on that tree, I'll what? Draw all men. So you will receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. A lot of people shout on that verse. They shout and they run. And then they go and not be a witness. That's not a critical statement. That's just an honest statement. That if the Holy Spirit is really on you and he's empowering you, don't you think at some point you feel the unction to share Christ with someone? How do we know this? Because we'll see next week that God takes somebody who's bumbling and a fisherman, not very eloquent. The Holy Spirit comes on him. He preaches a sermon. And 3,000 people from that sermon that day. It's not a powerful sermon. He's not using big words. He's a fisherman. But because he's empowered for service, 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus that day. Don't you want that empowerment? Well, when you give the message of the gospel, people will listen and change their life. That's what it's all about. It's about filling these seats that aren't already filled. It's about filling those seats in other churches that aren't already filled because we're all one church. It's about filling the kingdom of heaven. That's why I called it the exciting life of the church. Why? Because the Bible says that the angels in heaven rejoice when one soul comes to Jesus. As we study this, this won't be a boring study. And I declare to you that the same things that happen to them, some of them can happen to you as the Lord wills. You still are able to witness. Now, we'll see also in this story and in these books, uh, this book rather, that not everything that happened to them is good. Not everything that happened to them is pleasant. As a matter of fact, I want us to look at that as we get ready to go. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 through 9. I believe those slides are in there. Let's read that. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. Wow. These things are happening to us. They're going to happen to us. It's going to be tough to be a Christian, but it might take you down, but it won't take you out. Mm. Jesus. Somebody said, it may take me down, but it won't take me out. Let's look at 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-five through 28 as we get ready to close. Let's read. Three times I was beaten with rods. <laughs> Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. Wow. 
I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have gone often without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. It's not an easy road to follow Christ. You might not have to do all Paul did. But if you're sold out to Christ, that means whatever may come, I'm ready to. Repeat after me. They face death to spread life. Say that one more time. They face death to spread life. If you want to be a thrill seeker, Walk out in the middle of downtown Detroit and yell out, Jesus is Lord. Walk down to Ferndale or Royal Oak or Troy and start declaring that Jesus saves the lost. And that all that don't know Jesus are sinners and they're doomed. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You're going to get some persecution. You may get some heckling, but what you won't get is a boring life. Are you ready to take that journey for the exciting life of the church? If you are, give God a hand clap of praise tonight. We're excited about what God is going to do. And if you're listening by podcast, if they haven't already cut this portion out and shut down the feed, I want you to know that you can be a part of that exciting life.